0: Quick disclaimer, the views and opinions expressed in this podcast are provided for informational purposes only and should not be construed as an offer to buy or sell any securities or to make or consider any investment or course of action. For more information, go to bestevershow.com.
1: Just knowing that you have one life, you want to live it and do the stuff that brings you the most fulfillment and most energy. You should absolutely take advantage of everything you want to do because at the end of the day, we're all going to die. None of it matters. So have fun and do really cool stuff when you're here on earth.
2: Welcome to the Best Ever Show, the world's longest running daily
0: commercial real estate podcast. Our hosts interview commercial real estate experts every day to get you the best advice ever with none of the fluffy stuff.
2: Best ever listeners, welcome to the Best Real Estate Investing Advice Ever Show. I'm Slocum Reed and I'm here with Connor Gross. Connor owns Atlas Storage. They buy and sell self storage facilities in Texas. He's based in New York City. Current portfolio consists of 350 units. Connor, can you tell us a little bit more about your background and what you're currently focused on?
1: Yeah, absolutely. Thanks so much for having me on the show. So in terms of my background itself, got started in real estate probably 15 months ago, but prior to that, pretty much operated in an entire world of digital marketing and e-commerce where my partner and I built and sold a couple of different e-commerce companies while we were in college. Recently, I graduated from university up in Boston about two years ago and sold our last business just before COVID hit. Once COVID kind of came around and actually hit, we decided, hey, we want to go and do something totally different. Outside of the e-commerce world, we have a little bit of cash saved up, where should we be spending most of our time? And both of us unanimously decided, let's go into real estate. So we pretty much spent a full six months straight during COVID, just diving into everything we could, analyzing asset classes, talking to brokers, owners, sellers, reading the books, podcasts, etc., trying to figure out what's what in this world. And about 14 months ago from today, we went and purchased our first facility. It was a small 68-unit facility, about... 12,000-ish square feet just outside of Dallas, Texas, where we purchased that. It was kind of a crazy transaction. It was an all-cash deal in seven days that we bought from a wholesaler. And ever since then, the past year, we've pretty much been buying different properties. We have about four facilities right now and looking to go and scale it up pretty substantially next year.
2: Nice. Connor, most people, especially people who dive into self-storage, are not coming into commercial real estate fresh with no other real estate investing experience. Most people scale or find themselves progressing into self-storage, usually from residential or apartments. Given that your experience was deciding to dive into real estate, analyzing several asset classes, what was it that drew you to self-storage over the other asset classes that you considered?
1: The two biggest reasons that we went with self-storage over anything like multi-family or other residential asset classes was first, we really did not want to be responsible for where somebody lived, especially starting out. I just know for myself personally, did not want to get the 2 a.m. phone calls about a toilet breaking, did not want to go and have to fly out somewhere in the middle of February when somebody's HVAC goes down. So that for me was just never something that I wanted to go into. And on top of that, I think the standard of, how well you can maintain something when somebody does not live or spend a lot of time in that asset drops substantially, which is kind of great for us because we're first-time operators. We wanted to go and figure out exactly what we could do without having to go and go above and beyond every other operator who's been in this space for a long time. And so when it comes to self-storage, if the doors work, you have a light bulb in the unit, you have a little bit of curb appeal and maybe some striped lines in the parking lot. People are very, very happy. Whereas if you're in multifamily and you don't have a Picasso in the lobby, people are going to be a little upset. They want it to be as nice as humanly possible. And so that was the first criteria. The second thing is we wanted to compete in a market where the competitors were not necessarily as institutional and had just so much more money than we did. And that's not to say that there are not institutional investors in self-storage. There absolutely are. And there's more and more big guys entering that space every single day. But if you actually look at the market of, let's say, multifamily compared to self-storage, in multifamily, about 90% of the property in multifamily is owned by institutional investors, people who want to go and buy multiple properties and build up their portfolio that way. In self-storage, it's 92% of all the self-storage assets out there are owned and operated by mom and pop operators. For the bulk of people, it is the John who retired at 65 and took his savings and bought a self-storage facility, keeps it 100% full year-round, and just lives off the cash flow and takes most of the payments in cash, and it's an easy business for him. I would rather compete against that guy every single day of the week then have to go and compete against some of these big funds that are buying up as much multifamily as humanly possible. So when it came time to actually buying them and competing against other operators, that's one of the big criteria that we use to decide to get into self-storage.
2: Those two criteria, an asset class that is simple to operate and an owner base that is not as professional, meaning you'll likely have better opportunities to buy, but also that you're competing against other not-as-professional owners. What
1: other things led you to self-storage? It was really those two things to start off. We definitely met a handful of other people who were able to go and have success in the space that definitely caught our attention. I think the one other thing that I would add that maybe isn't as applicable to some other forms of real estate, like maybe multifamily, is because it's also kind of a small business. There are a lot more levers that you can pull besides just renovating the unit to go and demand higher prices. If you can market the facility better online and lease it up better, that's a huge competitive advantage. If you're able to go and expand and open up more portable units on the actual site itself, that's a competitive advantage. So there are just more levers to pull from, from a value-add standpoint that made self-storage a little bit more interesting.
2: Connor, what other asset classes did you consider? What
1: were you comparing self-storage against? So I also own a land wholesaling business. So we also work with a lot of land, but the ones when it came to an actual investment standpoint, it was probably going to be self-storage or multifamily. That's kind of the two that it came down to. Office, I didn't feel confident at all about, especially as we're doing all of our research during COVID. I was very scared to get into that. When it came to any kind of retail spots, my entire background is e-commerce. So any kind of physical retail. I know a lot of it's not going away. I know people like it, but I literally do the opposite or have done the opposite for most of my career prior to this. So I didn't want to get into that either. There's a handful of other ones that we got out there. It just seemed like this one was going to be the best highest value add.
2: This may not seem like a direct question, but why not look at warehouse or other triple net more commercial style asset classes? I would think that operationally speaking, they would be much simpler. And if you were willing to buy smaller properties, like you said, you started with a 68 unit, Self storage facility, you probably would have found a lot more mom and pop ownership there as well. Why not something like Triple Net?
1: I would love to. Personally, I just didn't understand the playbook on how to even get into that in the first place. I found that there were a handful of books and podcasts that specifically walk you through from A to B how to go and get started in self storage and how to go and execute on that strategy. I'll be honest, if you look up warehouse real estate investing or industrial commercial real estate investing, there's no literature on the subject. There's very, very little books that actually walk you through how to go through this process. And the only other thing that I would say comparatively for the two asset classes is all of these larger warehouse types of assets, you are very often dealing with one to two single tenants or sometimes it's a couple tenants per facility that will go and occupy it. The one nice part about storage is we have 350, 360 units at the facilities. If one person moves out, it does very little to impact our bottom line. Good and bad. Like if one person moves in, it does very little to go impact our bottom line. So we have to kind of keep things operationally efficient. When it comes to these warehouses, we have record high inflation right now. So if you lock somebody in on a four to five year lease, this isn't an actual real concern for me, but you kind of could be missing out on a ton of upside on that. Whereas with self storage, every single lease is month to month. So you can constantly go and adjust pricing over a nine month time period. So yeah, I think I would love to do it personally. I think there's a lot of opportunity in warehousing and contractor base. There's something that I know is getting a lot more attention these days that gets me exciting. I just haven't personally seen the playbook laid out in ways that I have for self-storage today.
2: Connor, that makes sense. And even thinking within my own residential portfolio, I'm an apartment owner operator in Cincinnati, Ohio. And technically I have a single family right now and three or four family properties. And my largest property has 26 units. So to your point, when my four family has a vacancy and that vacancy is one third of the rental income for the property, I feel it a lot more. On that same token, when you have 68 doors, Or 26 stores, and you recognize a market shift or you recognize rent growth, inflation in the area, and you increase your rents by $25 or $50, that does a whole lot to your bottom line. Whereas at my four family or at a warehouse, That kind of nominal increase just doesn't do as much for you. On a previous episode, I went through some specific numbers here and showed how a $50 a month increase in a 24 unit led to a quarter of a million dollars in value for the property because I raised rents on C-class one bidder apartments by 50 bucks a month. So the scale there... You're preaching to the choir here, Connor, and I know the vast majority of Best Ever listeners are involved in apartment investing to some degree, so they understand what you're saying there as well. With regards to returns, the properties that you purchased, first, let me ask, it doesn't sound from your intro like you all raised capital for these deals from other investors. Did you, or do you own these guys outright?
1: Nope, all of our
2: own capital. Awesome. So that being the case, what is your targeted cash on cash? And is there a defined hold period or do you have a targeted
1: sale and IRR? So we haven't sold any properties yet. We don't necessarily go in with a targeted IRR today. I think that's something because we're probably going to be looking into some kind of future capital raising in the future, just thinking into next year as we want to go in and really expand that portfolio. But I think for us right now, the main criteria is what can we get that cash-on-cash look like? And thankfully, we've had some pretty awesome numbers, at least awesome to us, for the last four deals we've done. So everything that we target is at least in the 17 to 20% range on a cash-on-cash basis. And honestly, this is my whole point when it comes to the self-storage space. There's a lot of opportunity to actually go and get numbers like that, if not much, much higher. So for example, the first deal that we did, just to kind of throw out some numbers there, it was a weird story of how we found the deal. I bought it through a wholesaler and they had the contract left for another six or seven days. One of the previous buyers backed out. We found it in a Facebook group. And basically I was in Rhode Island with my partner at the time. And we decided, you know what, let's go, let's fly down to Dallas tomorrow and let's go and check out this property. This might be an opportunity to go and actually get our first deal done. So we flew down, the guy wanted four hundred thousand for it, no time obviously to get any financing, but we had the cash in the bank, so we ended up closing on it and I can get more into the psychology around the first deal and the closing of it if you're interested later on. but we basically closed on this property four hundred thousand cash and quite, quite many lit- units this is the sixty eight unit facility gotcha. this is our first deal, so quite literally, we went in and looked at the market rent looked at what was happening. Out of the 68 units, about 15 of them were unusable because either they were owner occupied or they had deferred maintenance and busted up doors, et cetera. You have another five to 10 units that the owner's like, this is my buddy. I'm just gonna let them rent for me for free. And then the rest of them, if you look at all the market rents, the rent had not been touched for 15 plus years. So we're looking at this thing and this kind of goes back to the psychology of closing. We were like, it's our first deal. We don't know. Should we go and do this? And in hindsight, we should have done it on the spot, not even a question. But we ended up finally getting the confidence to close on it. And we basically grew the NOI of that property from doing about $3,500 a month to now where it's doing about $9,500 a month. So it was everything from doubling market rents, making more units available, marketing the facility better, really just doing the hard, annoying work that the previous owner didn't want to do in order to go and fill that facility up at actual appropriate market pricing. And now the nice part is we closed it for 400 cash. This was in September of 2021. It was three months ago that we did this, September of 2022. So it's been exactly a year. We got the bank to reappraise it. It appraised for 1.25 million. And we pulled out, I want to say it was a little over 500,000 on actual debt. So we got all of our money back, all of the CapEx back and some, and we still have less than a 50% LTV on the property while having the facility basically run itself
0: Baseball All Star with over $700 million of commercial real estate assets will be live and in person speaking at the event. Also speaking is the one and only Dr. Robert Cialdini, the godfather of influence and the award winning author. I personally love his books. So be sure to secure your tickets to this live in person event before they're gone. Go to mfincon.com for more details. Sponsorship opportunities are also available. Visit mfincon.com today. Use the promo code BEST EVER to get $200 off your tickets. That's M-F-I-N Connor,
2: that property is outside of Dallas. Mm-hmm. It's 68 doors grossing under 10 grand a month. You're in New York City. Are you operating that location remotely? What kind of boots on the ground do you have to have to operate a facility of that size remotely?
1: Yeah. Right now we just have someone that goes by and commits eight hours a week to us and we pay them 15 an hour. So they basically go by and they're able to go and check on the units, do any of the tenant turnovers. So basically, let me take a step back. There's three stakeholders in the operations of the business. There's the call center who handles pretty much all tenant related inquiries, new tenant questions, things like that, and actually does the bookings themselves too. There's... Our team, there's an operations manager on our team who basically facilitates things between the call center and our local property manager. And then there's the local property manager who once a week gets a report from us that says, hey, these four units we need to have turned over. We need to go and do lock checks on these six units. And then by the way, just go and sweep up the facility, check on these three or four things and you're good to go. That's how we manage each of them so far remotely. And I might be oversimplifying it in terms of how it might sound easy. It's, it is a lot of work but it allows us to not have to necessarily be in Dallas-Fort Worth to manage some of these facilities.
2: It sounds like it's a lot of work to get all of that set up, but it's fairly self-sustaining as soon as you have all the pieces in place. You and your partner who own it together, how much of your time is involved in the operation of that property now?
1: As of recent, virtually zero, because we just hired an operations manager on our core team to go and run it all. So very, very little. However, we do still just across the team do daily standups to check in on different projects. And we also do weekly calls in terms of CapEx projects, budget approvals, things like that. So I'm still involved, but on like that specific property, it's not too much. Gotcha. Well,
2: Connor, are you ready for the best ever lightning round?
1: Let's do it. Awesome. Awesome.
2: What is the best ever book you recently read?
1: The top book, at least for me, I really liked it. It was $100 Million Offers by Alex Ramosi. It's really just changed the way I kind of think about sales and marketing and how you want to go and position things. I'll be honest, not incredibly real estate driven or real estate focused, but I think you can certainly take a lot of the principles there and apply it to how maybe you're making offers to owners, especially in this market, given that it seems like cash itself might not necessarily be an option for a lot of people who are buying properties. I think you get pretty persuasive with how likely it is that you can close, how creative you can get in terms of financing, all of that stuff. What is your best ever way to give back? I think for me right now, where I at least find the most enjoyment of giving back is with people who are two to three years beneath me in their journey. And I've only been doing this for a little over a year at this point. So even like somebody who's just getting started in their career, whether that's real estate e-commerce or do they just want to get involved in entrepreneurship in general, I'm always around to answer questions. Typically, I will say I don't get on many calls to answer a lot of questions, but an email is a guaranteed response to me for sure, or text. So I definitely like to go and at least try to provide any information that I can to people who are earlier than me in their career.
2: Nice. Connor, thus far in your self-storage investing, what's the biggest mistake you've made and the best ever lesson that resulted from it?
1: I think part of this is managing local property managers as well. I think part of the biggest mistake that I've made is maybe hiring people, especially from a local property manager standpoint, who didn't exactly go and work out for the job because I was too quick to screen them and I didn't go and set them up for success based on the key performance indicators that I could have set for them. So going forward, I know the big thing that we do now is we screen pretty aggressively on day one, especially for really anyone that we would have be a part of our team. And on top of that, we tell them exactly what success looks like. For the property managers, success every single week, looks like getting an email response that they received their boots in the ground checklist, that they've gone and completed each of those checklists and done every single item on it. And for anyone else in the team, we'll have certain metrics that we wanna go and set in place to let them know that they're doing a good job, which helps me understand if my employees are performing and it helps them know if they're doing a good job in the grand scheme of the company.
2: Yeah, and to add to that, Connor, Literally everyone has a smartphone in their pocket, which means they have a high-definition camera. Just taking pictures of everything goes so far. I was dealing with contractors earlier this morning where I sent them the scope of work for a project with pictures of everything they needed to touch, and that way I can hold them accountable when I go back and I can say, I sent you all these photos. Have you touched all of these things? Have you picked up all of this trash? And even little things, like I send someone into an apartment to do a quick apartment turn and I need new GFIs in the kitchen. Not that you deal with GFIs or kitchens, but they can send me a picture of the old one and a picture of the new one and show me remotely. I could be in New York City and my apartments could be in Texas. And just using before and after photos for everything that gets done, every walkthrough, every grass cut, makes it so much easier to manage those things. I'm not remote, but it means I don't have to be on site to see it. Connor, what is your best ever advice?
1: I'm going to steal this from Gary Vaynerchuk, honestly, who I know people have maybe strong opinions on. But his biggest advice is just that you will die. Three words, you will die. That, for some reason, just always fires me up. Anytime I hear that, I will have friends in my life or people that I surround myself with who just aren't happy with what they're doing. Maybe they're upset because they're getting judged from someone or they're not doing enough. And they think that they have to go and be in a certain position in their life because that's what's expected from them, from their friends, from their coworkers, from their parents or whoever. I just take so much comfort in the fact that knowing that 100 years from now, nothing that any of us does matters. This might sound a little depressive to some people, but maybe motivational to others. So take it how you want. But just knowing that you have one life, you want to live it and do the stuff that brings you the most fulfillment and most energy. You should absolutely take advantage of everything you want to do because at the end of the day, we're all going to die. None of it matters. So have fun and do really cool stuff when you're here on Earth.
2: Awesome. Last question. Where can people get in touch with you?
1: The two best spots, at least where I post the most content personally, one is on Twitter. It's just at C underscore G-R-O underscore grow. And then the other one is I have my own podcast. It's called the next generation. We really just kind of interview people who are under the age of 40, sharing their journey as they kind of go and get involved in software, real estate, e-commerce, agency life, anything like that. And also just bring some more bunch of ideas where if I had all of the unlimited free time in the world, I would go and start other businesses. So that's where you can reach me. Nice.
2: Those links are in the show notes. Connor, thank you. Best ever listeners, thank you as well for tuning in. If you've gained value from this conversation, please do subscribe to our show. Leave us a five-star review and share this episode with a friend who you know is interested in self-storage. Thank you and have a best ever day.
1: Thanks for having me on.